Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me today as co-host is our summer intern, Eva Weege. And we're here today to talk to a very special guest, Daniel Krauss. He, him, is the New York Times bestselling author of more than a dozen novels and graphic novels. He co-authored The Living Dead with legendary filmmaker George A. Romero. With Guillermo del Toro, he co-authored The Shape of Water, based on the same idea the two created for the Oscar-winning film. Also with del Toro, Krauss co-authored Troll Hunters, which was adapted into the Emmy-winning Netflix series. He has won two Odyssey Awards for Rodders and Scowler, and The Death and Life of Zebulon Finch was named one of Entertainment Weekly's Top 10 Books of the Year. His books have been Library Guild Selections, Yalsa Best Fiction for Young Adults Picks, Bram Stoker Finalists, and more. His work has been translated into over 20 languages. He lives with his wife in Chicago, and you can visit him at danielkraus.com. Daniel, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, um, Whale Fall comes out this August. It is your 21st book, is that right? Yeah, if you count graphic novels, it is, yeah. Um, how do you keep coming back to to create more work? I mean, 21 books is incredibly impressive. Um, what keeps your creative energies going, um, you know, kind of book after book? Well, I think what keeps me going is really... Uh... The also my my biggest problem, which is that I keep stretching off into different directions. Um, I keep writing different kinds of stuff, like whether it's for kids or teens or adults or graphic novels or horror or science fiction or fantasy. I just keep bouncing around, um, which I think generally is, um, you know, publishing professionals urge you not to do that. Um, to not confuse your fan base. And there's a reason for that. And they're, they're kind of right. Um, I think whenever I do stray off, I do tend to confuse my readers and lose some, and it's not always successful from a commercial point of view. Um, but it's what keeps me going as I really like to, with every book, completely turn the other direction as much as possible. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, if I just came off something like the living dead, which was, you know, gigantic. Um, and from, you know, maybe it's gigantic and it's past tense and has this huge cast of characters. My instinct is going to be for the very next thing to do something short and terse and maybe a, from an idiosyncratic first person or something in a different genre. Uh, so it's, it's really uh, brain cleansing for me to, to keep on. I don't, you know, these people who like, are on book 18 in a series. I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't know how they do that <laughs> in a way. It's really impressive to keep on, uh, kind of combing over the same soil and finding more and more stuff. So I kind of get it abstractly, but uh, I think, you know, I think a, some of us 
who were, you know, were, were young, uh, you know, middle school readers of like Stephen King and stuff that, uh, he, he was, he was so averse to sequels, you know, back in those days, hmm. um, that I think a lot of that got, um, trained in me to want something different with, with everything that I'm reading and with every, um, I read and watch films in this, the same way, completely different genres, completely different, um, uh, uh, languages sort of, of, uh, films. I don't mean like literal languages, although I mean that as well. Um, just that's, I try to just in take things from as wide as a possible, um, uh, areas I can and, and output that as well, which involves creating a lot of new problems for me to solve. It's the only way I can stay vital, I think on the page and stay interested as an artist. You know, it, it, it's really fascinating um, to read all of the, the kind of diverse eclectic stuff that you've put out um, because they are so dramatically different from one another. You know, Whalefall reads so much differently than, you know, any of your other books. And I, I kind of want to know, you know, from a creative perspective, do you ever feel like when you, when you turn a corner like that so hard to do something so dramatically different from the last project do you feel like you ever run into a problem where you're like i don't know that i have the skill or the craft for this vision do you have to kind of like come back to it later or do you just kind of push through it and and you know just kind of grow your craft on the fly yeah well not having the skill for it is exactly the point like i i want to sort of not have the skill for it and then have to build it um that's why I uh, do any of this. You know, I always think about, um, and I'm looking this way because this is where all my books are. So I'm reminding myself the order of my books. Yeah. Like, you know, when I did, I, I did this two volume thing called The Death and Life of Zebulon Finch, which was this like 1500 page, just gigantic <laughs> research drenched uh, project, just, just gigantic. Um, and so after that, I did this tiny little book called Blood Sugar and I, put in a bunch of roadblocks for myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to write this book and it's in this weird, really weird idiosyncratic language. And I'm not going to use, I'm going to remove all of, almost all of the punctuation marks from this book. And I'm going to severely limit myself to just like periods, I think exclamation points and commas. Um, and like that caused all sorts of problems. I mean, you would imagine, like you can't, you can't even write a sentence like you're used to writing. Uh, and yeah, for, for some books, it's a lot of times it's research, like for Whalefall, it, it was something I knew nothing about and I had to learn everything about. It. And, and there wasn't even the kind of stuff I wanted, there wasn't even really literature on. So I really had to start with just months of interviews with whale experts and diving experts. So it was a new kind of problem and a skill I didn't have. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I don't swim with the whales, you know? Uh, so, so this is, so not having the skill, I'm kind of at that stage and I feel like I've been here for a while where, um, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for problems. That's, a, a just such a fascinating artistic, uh, direction, I think. And, and I, you know, forgive me to any other authors out there, but, you know, I feel like a lot of artists are just, 
afraid of veering off into that unknown, you know, afraid of, of kind of taking those big chances. Um, so I, I find it really interesting that, you know, you put in so much effort to kind of develop um, along all of those different dimensions with whale fall. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges for you in, you know, just, just crafting this absolutely unmistakably beautiful novel? I mean, the biggest problem is usually when I'm starting a book, um, and let's say it's a book that involves, you know, a good deal of research, I'll, I'll have a, a general idea of the story. And, um, you know, usually I write a little bit, free write until it grabs me. And I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. Maybe that's, it could be five pages, it could be 50 pages, I don't know. Um, and then I kind of stop and I do a ton of research and the research really points me in new directions for the story as well. Um, but in this one, I didn't even know what the story was because I didn't know what story was possible. Like I didn't, first of all, I didn't know if you could be swallowed by a whale. Is that even possible? Uh, <laughs> what is it like inside of a stomach? I don't have the slightest idea. Is it like Pinocchio where it's like this big cavern you can just sort of chill out? <laughs> in? Um, can you breathe in there? I mean, I don't, I don't understand anything. So all I had was the concept, diver and whale. I didn't even have that. I was like man in whale. And then the first thing I found out from an expert was, you know, you can't breathe in there. So it, need, it would need to be a scuba diver. So that's the first thing I was like, oh, because oh, it has to be a scuba diver. Um, so really even coming up with the plot involved, I couldn't do that until I learned what was possible. And so the interview process with my whale experts was a lot of me sort of leading them through scenarios or asking them questions and developing it very weirdly kind of step-by-step step based on their answers. So it was kind of like, you know, what is it, what does it feel like inside the stomach? And they would say this and this, and I would kind of off that, I would say, well, can you grab onto this thing you just mentioned? And they'd be like, no, but you could grab onto this other thing. And I'd be like, okay, well, what if you grabbed onto that and went this way, what would that be? And so it's just like this kind of slow process of, you know, because they they know so much about whales uh, that they don't, you know, when you're so close to something, you don't see the necessary, like the narrative potential of, you know, these guts that you're just dealing with in a very <laughs> uh, um, scientific sort of antiseptic way. Uh, so, I would, you know, I'd kind of posit these scenarios and every once in a while they'd be in like a real Eureka where someone would say something and I'm like, oh, I get it. That's okay. The second act is when he's going to try this. And there were certainly a few of those, particularly, you know, the sort of climax of the book was a really big um, Eureka from a conversation I had with one of them that really started to bring everything together. Um, and then all the stuff that the flashbacks that are, are more about the family that that involved still a lot, quite a bit of research, but at least I understood that world. And I, mean, I understand a, a father and son having a relationship. So that part really was more sort of in my or in any writer's wheelhouse of just sort of understanding um the relationships and then the process of just trying to tie them together in a way that that was not a drag you know going back and forth between two things particularly when one of them is very exciting can be um hard 
to read. You know, uh, flashbacks can be a real drag if you're if they're not working. <laughs> so I I suppose um, I do have a question about those flashbacks, but this might be a great time just to talk about what your book is about for those that uh, may mm-hmm. not actually have you know heard of this book or or know what uh, the the plot kind of entails. So would you um, mind just kind of sharing the the premise of Whale Fall for those who are unfamiliar with it? Sure. Um, and I love, I love summing up the plot because it's the easiest book to sum up in the history of <laughs> my book. Like normally when someone says, what's the book about? I stumble around for 10 minutes trying to explain it. But this one is like so high concept that I can say, and then I'll extrapolate after that, but I can say it's the scientifically accurate uh, story of a scuba diver who is swallowed by a sperm whale and has one hour of air to escape. Uh, that's, that's really all you need to know to be interested in it or not sort of more deeply. It's, I think far more emotional than that, than that. Um, that makes it sound like it's going to be this breakneck thriller and it sort of is, but there's a ton of, um, emotional stuff between the, the young man diver and his, uh, recently dead father who for reasons of injury and uh, methane inside the whale um, the diver starts hallucinating that the father sort of is the whale Um, and so he begins talking to the whale and um, even though they're estranged that the the sort of de facto whale father and him sort of start to heal some of their own, own old wounds and find ways to come to sort of a better understanding of each other. And the most obvious way is the sun begins to remember a lot of the ocean um, and whale sort of survival tips that the father gave him th- throughout the years, which he was never interested in. Um, and they start saving his life. Yeah, the um, this book, when I'm talking to to a lot of my friends or when I'm talking to people that I'm like, you need to go read this book. Um, I agree. It's really easy to describe in, in terms of a plot. You know, guy gets swallowed by a whale. What could be easier to describe, right? But it's so difficult to capture the emotional journey, the emotional arc of this book and exactly why this book is so impactful. You know, you you have some characters that I think are really complex and the relationship they have, you know, develops and continues to develop from point A to point B of the book. You know, it's it, from beginning to finish, it is a, a, a total kind of emotional journey um, that, you know, this kid Jay kind of has to go on. So stylistically... I wanted to kind of pick your brain about, you know, the choices that you made for both the flashbacks and the narrative and and kind of setting the narrative chapters around, um, you know, how much air he has left in his tank, because I think you drive a lot of the action forward through this exchange of both the moment in the whale and then reflecting back on, you know, this whale of a father you know this kind of symbolically huge presence in jay's life 
what were some of the decisions that you made as to where to place your flashbacks and and then you know how to keep that momentum moving forward through every page of the book yeah that was really what you put the science aside that was the hardest part is you know when you're essentially flipping back and forth between the present and various times in the past um you can, I mean, the possibilities are unfortunately limitless. So there's, there's an infinity of ways I could have done it. Um, so that's always difficult uh, when you don't, when you have too many options. Um, I, I, I don't, I couldn't say offhand how I came across it, but I decided I wanted the chapters to be really short, which is not something that I often do. I tend to, to write kind of longer chapters but i i like this idea because i wanted to see that the chapter headings as you say are all how much hair he has left and i really wanted to see that tick down um i wanted people to be looking at that a lot so i thought okay i'm gonna do short chapters and the short chapters then allowed me to sort of decide how much i wanted to jump back like if you have let's say your chapters are 15 pages and you have to you don't have as many options mm-hmm. like uh i'm only gonna be able to jump back once every 15 pages or so but if your chapters are, are two or three pages, you can jump back all you want, but you don't have to. I could have several chapters in a row that are just whale action. So just structurally and functionally, that that put me in a good spot to start with. Um, it, it was more malleable in smaller chunks. And then after that, it was just hard. Um, you know, I had a kind of my whale outline of stuff I wanted to get to in the whale. And that was all because this is essentially a real time novel i really had to know exactly what was going to happen before i wrote and then i had almost a separate timeline that was things in jay's life that i may or may not get to and so as i as i wrote i would try to as intelligently but also as instinctively as i could to to pick things from the the jay's life list and plug them in at the moments where they felt right um like something would happen naturally in the writing about the whale. And I would say, oh, that that's a good lead in. He just said something that would be a good lead into this memory. Um, and other times it was more, it was less instinctive and more like early in the book, I need to establish kind of who these people are. So I'll better pick something that's sort of less specific and more general. And I made a lot of mistakes, I'm sure early on where I, I, I kind of plopped in, um, flashbacks that didn't really work there or didn't belong so I in some cases move them elsewhere um it was kind of like it it was harder to edit than I expected because of when you're going back and forth so often and you've designed those back and forths to play off each other very minutely when you remove one, all the dominoes start to, to fall apart. And now you don't have a smooth transition anymore. Or suddenly now it's too many chapters without a flashback or vice versa. So it was a, the balance of it was really hard to, to get both right and feel like I wasn't shortchanging one or the other. Did you, I mean, aside from kind of building two separate timelines for, you know, the the various events in this story, did you use any other kind of like organizational tools to help you kind of keep everything straight as you went through? 
Yeah, yeah, a bunch of stuff. Um, so I had my outlines and then just various sort of information, informational documents that I had gathered. Like here's a, uh, a bunch of stuff I had gathered about whaling. So whenever whaling comes up, I know about whales and then stat documents and just organs and stuff. One of the funniest things I have is I bought this little diver <laughs> doll sort of it's like a kind of like a, almost like a barbie doll except it's um uh it's a diver and he was it's really well jointed like the, the arms and legs and hips move really well um so i would i would write with that diver doll on my desk and it would be contorted at whatever position the diver was in my story so i could really keep track of um wh what position is he in is his head down? Is his arm behind him or under him? Because that was that was always really important to keep track of. Uh, so that little doll was very helpful. I've got you know over here on this shelf um, to my right a bunch of uh, books on whale anatomy and stuff like that. So I had some like ready reference books that just are more or less you know pages of guts, to for lack of a better term. Um, not my favorite book to look at, but helpful. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, this was something where I came to the table before I wrote really any of it with just a ton of stuff ready to reference. And then of course, all my transcripts of all my interviews. I think I'm sure at the very beginning, I, I thought this is way, way beyond me. Um, you think about someone like um, uh, Andy Weir, you know, who writes The Martian. That was his background. Like he he had this sort of science background ready to roll. Um, and I didn't have any of that. So I think at the beginning, I wasn't even sure if there was a book, period. <laughs> like it's possible that the first expert would say, no, can't do it. No whale can swallow a human. There's, there's no book here. Once I got started, I felt pretty confident once... Once the, the whale experts assured me that it was theoretically possible, I started getting a lot more confident in it. Um, you know, as complicated as this was and as kind of alien to me as it was, I, I certainly had done books where I had larger masses of research. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of books for this one, but nowhere near as many as I've read for some others. So I had done more research before. This was just... Uh, a deeper dive, so to speak, into something very specific. Uh, there was, there's one element of the book that I, you know, I can't talk or I'll spoil it, but there's one piece of anatomy of the whale that was really key to the story that mm. I could not understand. Like I, I kept meeting with this one whale expert and she would try to, uh, Joy Wiedenberg is her name. She's just, she's just fantastic. Um, and she would try and try to get me to understand this uh, weird piece of anatomy. And I would find pictures of it in my whale guts book. And I would, I would try to label it and say, is this what you mean? Is this part here? And I'd send it to her and she would say, no, you still don't have it. So we'd get on Zooms and she had like this kind of smaller, uh, kind of mummified uh, piece of this anatomy. And she'd show me on the Zoom and then I would ask a million questions we would just spend hours and hours on this one <laughs> body part because i couldn't it was so important and i couldn't quite grasp it like how it looks in 3d space 
and what is that what would it feel like and how could you manipulate it and um so like that was like that but that wasn't really a stumbling block like there came a point where i just left a little gap in the book and i was like he does this to this part and i don't know how and i ended up just having to circle back and put in the details later because I, I had to keep writing but i didn't understand this one part so there were there were moments that were like difficult like that but i think once it got going i believed in uh the the project um pretty pretty confidently yeah why did you decide to go ahead like i guess like for like the time period of when it was like why did you decide to add like elements of like COVID 19 and things like that mm. did you want it to become something that was like more like just very it felt present in that moment yeah. i guess or like what made you want to do that well, it, you know, it takes place more or less modern day. And my first thought was, you know, I think a lot of writers are still kind of doing this work. They're like, I'm just going to set it in 2019. I bet there's a lot of books in <laughs> 2019. Uh, and I, I felt like that was just a cop out. I was like, why, why, why would I randomly set this book that's coming out in 2023 and 2019? Like, it's so obvious what I'd be doing. <laughs> um, and, you know, I did a book a few books ago called The Ghost That Ate Us. And, um, that book, for very particular reasons, had to be set um, in 2020, uh, not because of COVID, because of other, the ages of the characters and things that happened in, in real history. So a while I was writing it, COVID happened. Um, and I thought, well, I can either reset this in, in a different era and try to find ways to make this work, or I can just embrace it. Um, and I found that once I decided to rewrite it um, from the COVID perspective, uh, it got so much richer. Um, it felt like I was being honest about it. Um, I felt that everyone's, all the characters' reactions to COVID were really informative. Uh, it just it just felt like, I mean, this is something that people are still going to be talking about in, in a century. It's not, that's not going to change. Um, you know, it's going to be like if you write a book that's in, the early 1910s and you don't talk about world war one that's insane like everyone that's something everyone's dealing with uh so it felt like yeah people are going to see this book came out in 2023 and of course the people are going to be dealing with covid uh, that thing la that thing lasted years so it i didn't think about it for too long or too hard i was like this is reality i'm going to set it in reality and i bet it will it will pay some dividends um i'm always in, in encouraging people to embrace the absurdity of the present and whatever that takes um the idea that you, you could write a book that's timeless i feel like is um it's a neat idea but like you can still have as many spe specifics about you know like, like you could have a book that's talking about and the characters are obsessed with succession or whatever. And that doesn't mean it's not going to be timeless. It just means it was written at a certain time. Like, I don't, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. I've decided in general in my books to really embrace that kind of specificity. Well, I, I feel that speaks to kind of the, I don't know, that the current, the, the currentness of art. I, I, I feel like a lot of the, the kind of, eternal art if you will like, like it's very much a product of its time um i teach world literature 
uh, at the the college level. You know, that's that's kind of a lot of what I think about. A lot of what I do is thinking about world literature and, and really like why do these texts kind of stand the test of time in spite of the fact that they are very much concerned with their moment. You know, um, Don Quixote is one of my favorite books. And, uh, you know, th- it's it's ranting and railing against whole genres of literature that we just don't even have anymore you know um and i don't think that that takes away from its timelessness if you will and instead i think it it um it harkens back i don't know to like this kind of universal idea of art and as as a human experience kind of interrogating our lives interrogating our experiences um i think that is more what makes art kind of eternal or timeless, you know, the ability to speak to another human being and their experience, you know, through this, this kind of commonality, this shared, call it emotional or philosophical root, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say when you, when you interview the next person you have on here, ask them why they didn't include COVID. Like that seems to be the more uh, pointed question almost. It's like, why are you dodging the, the biggest event of you know a century like that's mm. not gonna play well it's gonna be weird <laughs> i bet i bet if you went back before like during you know world war ii or whatever there's books that were written at the beginning of the war that pretended that wasn't happening because it was really gonna screw up the book and they probably it feels weird now you know yeah absolutely when you were describing mitt's tattoos like what made you want to have him be like have a whole back piece and like like why I mean I know his whole like calling in his life was like he felt like it was the ocean and things like that but just you know why why add that in there yeah that's a great question um it I wanted for various reasons this book has a lot of um Jonah out out allegories in it um uh that are to be found or not depending on if you want them um and i wanted starting from that perspective i I, there is sort of this religious undertone to the book and i i wanted mitt to have a a certain kind of spirituality like he's pretty anti-organized religion in the book but i wanted him to have um something that was sort of guiding him. And that's something was really sort of the religion of the natural world. Um, and I feel like his tattoos, you know, like he, he, he always felt, Mid always felt like he was a man of nature who was sort of hammered into a civilized domestic life. And he was never satisfied with it, never happy with himself for settling for it. Uh, he was conflicted in a lot of ways. Uh, but the tattoos sort of hearken to uh, the kind of person that he wanted to be, or at least thought he wanted to be. Like, you know, instead of wearing, you know, a cross around his neck, he has these sailor um, uh, tattoos that signify certain things. You know, I think... um, I like the, and I like the idea of him having those layers and in this case, sort of literally, you know, he can take off his shirt and you sort of see a different Mitt who's not 
raising three kids in the suburbs. He's in his mind, he's sailing the seas um, with the various salty dogs out there. I thought it was a really, I really liked the element of Mitt, like having that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And you got a, a, a whale tattoo as well. Uh, did you get that during writing this book or, or did you get it, you know, kind of after ahead of its release? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And I guess in a way I took after Mitt. Um, it, I got it after I finished the book, but, but certainly before the book came out. Um, and it's not like I'm a guy who has a ton of tattoos. It was really my first one. Um, but this book means, means a lot to me. I haven't, um, written anything that I think is this personal, which is, um, uh, something to say when I grew up in Iowa and have no relationship with the water. So it hasn't, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, but, but there are scenes in this book that are, are literally things that are right out of my life like like exact scenes um it's just i've put them in this uh different suit of sort different wetsuit if you will with the um tattoo that you got one of the things you talked about in a, a recent newsletter was you know this idea of um you know, the whale as kind of a mythic figure and, and one that is capable of inspiring awe and how important awe is, you know, kind of to art um, in general. So I, I wanted to pitch to you a little bit, you know, what is awe for you? Why is it so important to artwork? Um, and, and how do you work to inspire that awe through your art? Wow. That's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I think I think part of um, a lot of good artists is sort of understanding the the smallness and insignificance of what they're doing. You know, in the in the wider in the wider um, uh, scope of things, um, I that's a way to just kind of stay humble and just be, to be realistic. You know, like very few people are ever gonna see the art you're doing um and I, I think for a lot of people i think i said this in the newsletter um there is they 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 do have a lot of them maybe a, like a, a religious um component of their life that they can kind of fall back on you know like maybe i don't know what's going on in my life but i believe in this um after afterworld system that might might church teaches me and there's there's some comfort um to that for those of us who don't have that um i think there's there's still a lot of comfort in the world you know like i think the 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 greatest i mean the most highly spiritual thought one can have is that you die and your your body is is worked back into the soil and, and you become just part of the next things that live. I mean, it doesn't get much deeper than that. Um, as far as like using my books as a tool of awe, uh, the people in the book, they really have to, you know, they truck their butts way out to Monterey 
and pay money, good money to get on a boat in just the hopes of glimpsing part of a whale, you know, like maybe just a tail or something like that. I think, you know, I don't have to think, I know people do that constantly. They do other things on vacations that are um, really attempts to, to touch or see something that makes them feel small in a weird way, instead of much of our daily lives, which is a process of constantly trying to find things to make us feel bigger or to make us feel better, to make us get more people to like us or appreciate us. Um, this, this instinct we have to, to, um, to present ourselves as the best we can possibly be. It's, I think, in that hyper uh, aware world that we live in of trying to gain likes, retweets and stuff like that, it's all the rarer and more powerful uh, to, to rip all that away and feel small, whether it's a whale or standing in front of the Grand Canyon or something or just being out on the water and seeing like the endless horizon or just being in the middle of the country, you know, like I grew up in Iowa and just seeing how there's just nothing and there's just a flat endless horizon. Um, all of these things have, have always had a power on people over people. And I think now more than ever, um, it's, it's something that I think is only going to get, more important to people i i think they're going to be less and less aware that that's something they want or need but there i think there's always going to be this sort of unidentifiable maybe ache in them to be to feel like they're part of some sort of bigger system yeah so do you feel like as an author your your art allows you to kind of experience awe like do you feel like you seek to replicate that experience by, you know, challenging yourself with stuff that you've never, you know, thought to write before? Is is that kind of part of your, you know, call it a religious experience? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's rare. Um, it's when I can hit such a thing, you know, um, when I, those rare times of writing that I can achieve that sort of state of all, I think it's really rare and not a lot of books are going to even have opportunity for that within the, the story. Um, but it, I've probably hit it a, a few times and most, mostly with whale fall. Um, and it's a very, it's a very, I don't even know if it's satisfying is the right word. It's, it's sort of like, it's like a, you, you're ringing some sort of bell um that exists and you don't really know where it is or how you hit it um but there's there's some ring of of truth to it you know it's like Werner Herzog's ecstatic truth like it's not necessarily factual truth um but there's it's something it's a different kind of truth it's the truth of poetry it's the it's the thing that just sort of resonates you know in a larger way um that even but almost by definition you can't uh i won't ever understand yeah i i 
the reason I ask these questions is because I, I feel like we're living in a, a strange moment of light capital, right? Where it's just every little bit, every kind of experience we have is, is so deeply commodified. And I, I keep thinking about, you know, what is the spirit that is missing in this? Um, as we see AI kind of advancing as a technology that corporations want to be using to produce content, not art, but content that is, you know, kind of consumable. I worry about, you know, where, where is our sense of awe coming from? How are we developing these, you know, kind of emotional, spiritual um, experiences in our lives that connect us more deeply to the human fabric of society? And so, you know, I, I kind of wonder, you know, how do we go about trying to preserve that sense of, of, um, you know, being just such a small part of a huge system, right? How do we find our place in, in kind of navigating that space and, and really connecting to one another through this kind of shared artistic experience? Um, do you have any thoughts about how we, how we do that, how we, we try to pursue art or how we, we pursue artistic in, endeavors to, to, to find that for ourselves? It's, I mean, it's hard and getting harder. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be difficult for everyone and some people um, and, and more and more people will never find it and will never feel it. Um, and even, you know, even I, I might've written this book, but it's rare, very rare for me. Um, that's why I think the, the urge for people to get on boats and, and see a whale, um, that's what it, that's what makes it so powerful. Like, you know, you may see some amazing, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, some sort of imaginarium type of thing created by AI that's all it's sort of encompassing and almost sort of like a, uh, a virtual reality that that may be awesome in some ways um, but you know that it was created uh, seeing something existing apart from humans that is awesome on its own is and knowing that this Monterey Canyon beneath just off the water that goes down deeper than the Grand Canyon and it's hidden to us, just knowing that exists and that we had nothing to do with it is, um, is it makes you get goosebumps, you know, like it's, it's an incredible thing to think about. I think increasingly outer space maybe becomes an area where we find this, this kind of feeling where, you know, as we travel into space more, um, that's, and sort of an endless sea of the unknown. I think there will be probably a, a at some point a pretty spiritual component to those who are in space who are who are looking not just to escape the the dumpster fire of Earth, but to like find uh, experience some sort of return to what you're talking about this connection with um, the the very elements you know the the stardust that that is in our very atoms, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I, I don't mind sharing that um, whale fall for me was just an incredible experience. Um, you know, I'm always looking for a book that can inspire ideas or can inspire something in me, you know, that is a recognizable part of human experience. And this book was phenomenal, um, you know, not just symbolically, but emotionally, uh, just a, a master class in how to construct a, what I feel is a very human novel. Thank you. Yeah, I hope it's a human novel and an animal novel and uh, uh, all things that are living type of novel. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. No, no problem. It was a pleasure.